Uh, Nick, did the NDP walk into a trap with this liberal deal, which we'll see uh, the liberals govern with NDP support until 2025? Well, Jagmeet Singh has put his political future on the line with this agreement, this parliamentary agreement that mm -hmm. the New Democrats have with the liberals. Let's face it. You know, if everything goes well from a new Democrat perspective, they'll be able to put some wins in the window between now and 2025. However, and this is the political killer, potential political killer. If the liberals hit a controversy, if there is a scandal, mm -hmm. if there is turbulence and the new Democrats are propping up the liberals, they're going to be a prime target for Canadians that are frustrated. And I think Jagmeet Singh his leadership could be on the line because there'll probably be, if there is any kind of liberal controversy or scandal and the NDP have to hold their nose and prop up the government, there'll be NDP caucus members that will be very upset and they'll probably look into blame Jagmeet Singh. So big risk for Jagmeet Singh. There is, there is a reward on the policy front, but I think it's a, it's a significant political risk for him, especially if the Liberals hit any kind of controversy between now and 2025. And how about this for a prediction? Hmm. Will there be a scandal or controversy between now and 2025? Yes, there will be. <laughs> yeah. So he's got he's to be ready for how he's going to manage hmm. the political heat if it looks like the New Democrats are propping up a, uh, a Liberal government that is back on its heels. Yeah, like in in the actual agreement, it's it, you know it, it hinges on no surprises and 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 how do you? I mean, obviously they mean no legislative surprises, but but in the wider context, how how do you prevent any kind of uh, scandal that the NDP will then have to defend uh, from happening? You can't. It's it's as, it's as simple as that. They won't be able to do that, and I think that's why. I think this is probably uh, this not as probably it is a risk. There's a reward, but there's also a risk for Jagmeet Singh because caucus members will be pinning it on him, mm. uh, the fact that they have this agreement, this parliamentary agreement, and that it could be uh, could be risky. And let's face it, New Democrat voters will be upset if when if and when this occurs sometime between now and 2025. So Nick, on uh, this podcast on Trendline, you've said repeatedly that uh, the Liberals have sort of drifted left and they've left open a, a big wide open space in the middle of uh, Canada's political landscape for a potentially, uh, I guess, let's say progressive conservative to uh, to swoop in and take middle voters. Uh, so where does this leave the conservatives? And, and, and do you think uh, they'll take advantage of this? Well, whether they'll take advantage of it or not, it's hard to see. But the thing is, first of all, we have to say, Michael, there are probably card carrying liberals and liberal voters who are clutching their chest or started to clutch their chest <laughs> as soon as they started to hear it's not a coalition, but started mm. to hear about this confidence and supply arrangement to prop up the liberals, mm. because this is the next step. Think of it this way. Back in 2015, the liberals did tilt to the progressive side of the equation in order to pick up those NDP voters mm -hmm. and to be that big popular progressive front. Mm -hmm. but, but now they've put pen to paper to uh, to have an agreement and has firmly anchored the current this current iteration of the Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau uh, on the progressive side. So there are probably some blue liberals who feel abandoned, but there are Canadians that are probably more pragmatic. So for the Conservatives, the big question is, where do they go? Mm. Do they go to the right? Do they say the centre-right? Do they move to the centre? In uh, polling that we've just recently done, where we asked Canadians about the path forward 
for the Conservative Party and which way they should potentially tilt. And this was a survey that we did for PowerPlay, CTV's PowerPlay. 30% of Canadians said, you know what, doesn't matter which direction that the Conservatives go in, they'll never, ever, 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 ever vote uh, for the Conservatives. 29% of Canadians, and this was the most popular choice, said they'd like to see the progressives uh, become, uh, the conservatives that is, become progressive on social issues mm -hmm. and more centrist on economic issues. The third most popular response was that they should become more socially progressive and, um, and then right-wing on economic issues. So it looks like average Canadians would like to see the conservative party not be at the center, but move closer to the center to take up some of that space. But Michael, who knows what's going to happen because mm. you know, there's a leadership, uh, there's a leadership at play and average Canadians are not necessarily conservative voters. So there's a different group of people that will be selecting the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Yeah, so uh, potential voters are one thing, but it, it's the party themselves who, who decides the next leader. Uh, so we have a race right now uh, between, I guess, Jean Charest, uh, progressive conservative, and representing uh, the more, uh, I, I suppose, right-wing elements of the party, Pierre Polyev. Uh, you've also done some polling on uh, who's leading that race right now. I think you have to be, uh, I know you referred to Jean Charest as a progressive conservative, and he yeah. was a progressive conservative, as were all, all conservatives were. I don't know, 30 years ago, progressive conservatives. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he'd like you to call him a progressive conservative. Conservative, this sorry. Guy's, this guy doesn't even <laughs> want to say that he was a liberal. That's it's kind right. Of like, you That's remember, right. Do you remember in Harry Potter, like Voldemort? Yeah. The man whose name must not be spoken. Mm -hmm. Like It's like Jean Charest, it's kind of like liberal, the party whose name he will not speak of. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, he's firmly trying to kind of capture the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. But uh, the fact of the matter is, he's a former Quebec liberal premier, and the Liberal Party in Quebec is different than liberals in other parts of the country. Yep. But still, uh, he's there and he's still seen as being more progressive, especially compared to uh, some of the other leadership contenders. But, you know, in, in that survey of Canadians, not Conservative Party members, but of Canadians, it showed that uh, when we asked them, and this was a survey for the Globe and Mail, who they thought had the best chance of winning the next election, Charest came out on top at 30%, 24% uh, said that they didn't know. Pierre Poiliev came in at 22, and then we had the rest uh, in, 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 with low numbers. Hmm. So ask average Canadians, they believe that Jean Charest has a marginal advantage over Pierre Poiliev. Uh, on the winnability front. But like I said before, these are not conservative members. The big hurdle is what do conservative party members want on the future of the, uh, of the conservative party? And do they want to stay the course where they conservatives are right now ideologically? Or do they want to tilt a little bit uh, to the center? And we got to remember, I'll call it the ghost of Aaron O'Toole, right? Here's a guy that during the election went to move a little more towards the center and his caucus, not very happy about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what actually happens and where the conservatives want to take things. Uh, Nick, over in Alberta, it, it seems like the United uh, Conservative Party there might not be as united after all, according to uh, Premier Jason Kenney's comments that were caught on tape. Um, I, I'm just really fascinated by, by what's going on there. So Jason Kenney uh, was, was caught talking to staffers about how 
he's got a leadership review coming out, uh, coming up, sorry, in, in, in the coming weeks. And, and he was pondering just sort of walking away and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said that uh, he might just go to the private sector because he, at least he would get uh, weekends and evenings off, um, which, which uh, NDP uh, former uh, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley, uh, NDP Premier, uh, responded to saying she would never quit uh, the people of Alberta. Um, anyways, his, his comments really uh, uh, caused a, a backlash. Yeah, why don't we say congratulations, Jason Kenney and the United Conservative Party on being now the official Game of Thrones variation of politics <laughs> in Canada. Mm. Like, you know, you talked about a staffer recorded this and obviously released this. This isn't, hypothetically, I don't think that's supposed to be a hostile person, but mm. I'm not sure who, who thought that recording this would, uh, would help Jason Kenney and his bid uh, through, the, uh, through, the, through the leadership process. And, uh, and maybe we should just say, if someone is in a meeting with you and they're recording it and not telling you, perhaps they're not your friend. <laughs> so, you know, the reality is, is it looks like there is just turbulence and a lot of uh, backroom maneuvering that's going on mm -hmm. right now on the, on the leadership. We know that Jason Kenney has, has staked out 50% plus one vote uh, to stay on. We don't know whether that will actually be accepted by the caucus or the party or the province. Uh, but what it speaks to is the machinations of Alberta conservative politics. Do you know what? Alberta conservatives, they're true blue, but they are a tough crowd to navigate in mm -hmm. and to survive. And Jason Kenney is, is getting a firsthand uh, look at how difficult it is to lead the conservative movement in uh, why don't we just say Canada's most conservative province? So in, in the wider uh, context of these comments, uh, Jason Kenney also said the reason why he decided to, to stay on and, and, and fight with this, this uh, uh, leadership review is because he was worried that the more, I, I guess, ex extreme elements of the party would take over and, and he sees himself as, as, as the mainstream uh, conservative. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, a strange echo of, of what's happening uh, federally right now. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, and, I, and I think for a number of conservatives, it's probably interesting to see Jason Kenney frame himself as a moderate conservative, because I think for looking at his track record, I think he's obviously a conservative uh, economically, but also uh, a conservative from a social perspective, that he was mm -hmm. considered a social conservative uh, because of his views on a lot of uh, social issues were, were conservative. Uh, so, you know, and this is so this would be the equivalent of Jason Kenney kind of pointing fingers to other people within his own party that he is the leader of, saying that he's trying to uh, keep the party relevant. But the problem is, is that as soon as he does something like that, he not only elevates those other views, he probably emboldens them to organize even more. You know, perhaps it's a strategy for him knowing his belief that he will win the leadership review remain as leader and wants to cast himself as a little more of a moderate conservative when he's up against Rachel Notley, who's definitely on the progressive side of the ledger. So, but, you know, this is back to like Game of Thrones in terms of the almost Byzantine-like politics that and positioning that's going on uh, within the conservative movement in Alberta on a provincial level. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to look at how NATO allies are boosting their defense budgets to meet their uh, NATO obligations and, and how Canadians feel about our government doing the same. Uh, Nick, so with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, NATO seems more important uh, than it's been in a long time. Uh, Canada's NATO allies are, are thinking about raising their defense budgets to meet their uh, NATO targets. Um, uh, how does Canada fit in with this? And, and, and what are we seeing with uh, our European allies so far? Well, we have to, we still got that Trump thing. If you remember, Michael, what a Trump, I don't think oh, he called yeah. Canada free, didn't call Canada freeloaders, but I think he kind of said, it's kind of like being in a meeting, yeah. Donald Trump being at like the NATO meeting going, there are some freeloaders at this meeting who are not spending, we're carrying, you know, the America is carrying, I, carrying the freight. I think he said we're mildly delinquent or, or something like that, mildly delinquent maybe. But yeah, yeah, maybe he said that, but I think he thought freeloaders because that's, right. kind of that's the way Trump thinks. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, all NATO allies, uh, there is a target of 2% of uh, GDP. Canada has has not come close uh, to meeting that target. I think it's at 1.4 or something like One, that. Yeah, 1.39% uh, right now. Yeah, so at 1.39, that means, and we'll do some quick math, that Canada would have to increase defense spending by 50%, like another 7.7, uh, 7, in mm -hmm. order to, to meet its NATO target. That's a big that's a big jump. And the government has been uh, investing and maybe it hasn't been investing enough for some Canadians, but it, it has been investing in the Canadian Armed Forces. What's interesting is that we did a survey on defense spending compared to social spending. And I think this is what's important because this isn't just about what's happening in Ukraine and what might be the requirements from uh, a NATO commitment perspective. But you know, when we asked Canadians on choices, on spending more money on defense, for example, to deal mm -hmm. with threats like the war in Ukraine, or dealing with spending more on social issues to deal with the outcome of the pandemic, Canadians were more likely to support defense spending. 45% said they'd like to see more spending on defense. 39% uh, said they'd like to see more spending on social issues. And I think what this speaks to is that I would say a full throttle movement to 2% of GDP is, is not necessarily supported by a majority of Canadians, that Canadians are divided. They understand that there's still a lot of social programs and other supports that Canadians need just to survive and get through this pandemic mm -hmm. from an economic perspective. However, the war that we're seeing now between Ukraine and Russia has put a spotlight on defense spending. And I would say, you know, that 45% still pretty significant. 45% of Canadians wanting to see money spent on defense over social programs at this particular point in time. So meeting, uh, meeting our target of 2% would be uh, billions of dollars uh, more per year that we're already spending. Um, already, uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has called out an, an arbitrary target. Uh, and I'm, I'm going back to the start of the show uh, where we talked about the the liberal NDP deal, are, are we seeing trouble there ahead already? If if the liberals move to to raise spending, well, for sure. And the thing is, is uh, for the NDP, what are they going to do? Mm. You notice there's a pause. There's nothing that they could do. That they've got it. <laughs> as long as the liberals deliver on the things that they promised to deliver on, the reality mm. is, is that the the New Democrats 
can oppose and criticize, but as long as it's not a confidence motion and not part of the uh, not part of the budget uh, or any kind of supply vote, then uh, then the NDP can uh, make their uh, can register their dissent and move mm. forward. But you know the other interesting thing about this, Michael, is that you know s- some of our other NATO allies, and why don't we talk about Germany for a second, mm-hmm. have uh, have had a change of heart. You know the the current government in Germany is the Social Democrats, Greens, and the Liberals in Germany. It's a, it's a progressive left-wing government. Mm-hmm. And they came out and said that they would meet their 2% target for defense spending. This represents a significant game changer for Germany and German policy. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. That's a progressive government that has kind of is, has made a commitment to go straight to 2%. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see Canada will be, regardless of the domestic political situation, Canada will be compared against all of its other NATO allies and partners on, on defense spending. And I would hazard to say, if I can make a prediction that, you know, for Canadians on a lot of these issues, they don't want us to spend the most and they don't want us to spend the least. It's kind of like Goldilocks. They want us to be in the middle of the pack, mm-hmm. but we should not be the laggard in NATO in terms of the lowest spend on GDP on a, uh, low spend on defense from a GDP perspective, but they don't want us to be at the top. So it's going to be interesting to see how other NATO allies like Germany, where they play this out, and how Canada fit, fits in the pecking order within NATO hmm. on defense spending. Uh, Nick, as always, uh, thanks very much for your insights. Uh, and I, I think we'll leave it there for this show. Super.